everybody. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, a resource designed to help make substantive disciples with a passion for the local church. I'm Erin Hesse, a staff member at High Point Church here in Madison, and I'm here with Senior Pastor Nick Gibson. Hey. And um, we're going to talk about the difference between spiritual disciplines and spiritual discipline. You've been talking about this more recently to the staff, um, and not even actually to the full staff. You've been writing a book recently, and... um, yeah. This is actually kind of a sequel to a book that you wrote a couple years ago. Is that accurate to say? Yeah, two or three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two or three. Um, and the book a couple years ago was titled Blueprint, and that really laid out a gospel foundation for building an uncluttered and unstuck church. And as a church, we went through that in small groups. We talked about mm-hmm. it on Sunday mornings. It was kind of our big campaign then, right? similar to how we did Onward in fall of 2016. Yes. So... Um, in the last couple of months, you've been writing this new book called Substance, and um, your plan is to finish it by summer 2017? Is that the the, the hope is for the book to be done. My writing is supposed to be done by the middle of January. Oh, okay. Great. How are you doing? How's it? Uh, it's just <laughs> four kids, church, everything. It's hard to find time to think straight. Yes. But... I mean, almost all the, all the chapters are drafted. Some Good. are further along than others. Good. It's so maybe mm-hmm. 80, 90%. Getting, getting close. 70, maybe. Okay, yeah. passing. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so again, substance is supposed to be somewhat of a, a next step after Blueprint. So can you explain mm-hmm. a little bit how that bridge, like how you're hoping to, to draw that bridge? Sure. So Blueprint was about um, our ministry model as a church and our life together as a church. How do we do ministry together? And it's it surrounds those three sectors, connect, grow, serve, mm-hmm. right? And um, But the when, if you read through Blueprint, which is which is formatted in kind of a devotional style, like four or five readings a week for six weeks. Mm-hmm. It really focuses on the gospel as opposed to religion or moralism. Sure. And it talks about how do we live really for the gospel together in a church mm-hmm. in which we connect with each other, we grow in our knowledge of the Bible and understanding the gospel, and we serve the city and reach the world. Sure. Right? Yeah. And, and it's so, not a blueprint because you're like, you, you kind of stripped everything else away. Right. And just laid the general basic foundation of what we really need to do to be a healthy church. Yeah. Yeah. As simple as possible, but not simpler. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so, but the but the main focus on what the gospel was compared to in that book was as compared to moralism or legalism. The gospel isn't those. It's something else. Okay. Right. And if you read through all of the readings, especially the first week and the fourth week, third week, third week, um, there's a really strong emphasis of that. Now, the gospel is also different than what we used to the word we used to use was worldliness Hmm. that there was this like therapeutic or licensed kind of do what i want the younger brother in the prodigal son story kind of kind of thing where um instead of being too much our own religious subculture we're actually too much like the world Hmm. around us which if you look at the bible in the old testament that was the biggest problem Mm -hmm. and with the jewish people in the gospels you get this sense that jesus is saying hey quit being so moralistic or legalistic about the commands God gave you. But if you go to the Old Testament throughout the whole of the Old Testament, the problem is is that the Jewish people are too much like the nations around them, mm-hmm. right? That was called worldliness. And especially in our present era, but this has always been true, when we're too much like the world around us and not enough like the gospel, it tends to create insubstantial, brittle, fragile, shallow people mm-hmm. Rather than strong, substantive, meaningful, virtuous people that are able to live 
in a, in a world that may be shallow and brittle and be salt and light in a way that's extraordinarily powerful. And every church has to face the fact that we're not just here to not be religious. We're here to be substantive that is not worldly. Sure. And so this book is about how do you do that without becoming religious? Mm-hmm. How do you, in a gospel-centered way, in a way that's focused on Jesus and God's generosity, become enormously substantive? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So okay. So how, in general, I mean, how do you break that down in the book? We're going to focus in on one of those pieces, but... Yeah. So I broke it down to 117 chapters. Okay. Oh, I'm just kidding. So there's going to be somewhere between seven and nine chapters, okay. right? It'll be a seven-week series. And um, the, the first couple chapters are, here's the problem. The world has changed. The world's become more worldly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that has been exacerbated by technology. Because technology allows us, like when you're worldly, you pay a price for it. Mm-hmm. Technology actually allows us to not pay a price for a lot of the things sure. that we would do. It saves us from the natural consequences of our behavior. Mm-hmm. And it, it delays the natural consequences of our behavior. Um, and, and some of our technology actually substitutes for some of the things we're supposed to experience in human life. Right? You can yep. get fake love and fake comfort and fake mm-hmm. all kinds of things through technology. So th- there's that problem. And then the, the second chapter is just about conviction. Like you have to decide you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And you have to say a very decisive goodbye to worldliness. Sure. And decide that you want to walk into a life of substance, which happens through what the Bible calls discipleship. Okay. Okay. So once that decision is made, you've got to be like, okay, what is what does substantive godliness look like? Mm-hmm. Right. In the book, I break that down into four things. Having the mind of Christ, learning to walk in step with the Spirit. So there's a there's a there's a mental mm-hmm. retransformation of the mind. There's a spiritual, emotional, like being able to actually feel your way through life spiritually, rather than being dragged about emotionally, mm-hmm. right? Um, accepting the freedom we're supposed to have in Christ and living it out through virtue. That freedom and virtue create this. Freedom in which we serve, mm. right? And then lastly, love. Mm. Like actually sacrificial, self-serving love flowing out of our lives. Those four things kind of characterize what a substantive believer looks like. Okay. And then the second half of the book is basically how do you get there, Okay. right? Mm-hmm. How do you embrace discipline, escape diversion, do it together, mm-hmm. and embrace an ordinary life? Those are the four main categories. Okay. Life, life is ordinary but not typical mm-hmm. for a substantive Christian. Mm-hmm. And it's in normal things that you kind of like embrace all that God has for you and that you have to escape. There's lots to divert us Mm -hmm. in this culture. You have to flee those diversions. You have to embrace discipline and you have to realize we're doing it together in a counterculture called the church. Mm -hmm. So our external worldly culture is a deformational culture. It slowly forms you into something else Mm -hmm. and you don't so much believe it as absorb it. Yeah. And that's a huge distinction because if you absorb (laughs) something that you don't realize you're absorbing, you can't fight it. Right. But it's it is still very much a part of you. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then somebody talks to you from that culture and you're like, oh, you're speaking to my heart. You know me. Well, the reason the world speaks to you like it knows you is because it made you. <laughs> right? Yeah. You marinated in it. Yeah. You let it form you. You absorbed it. Yeah. And now it speaks to you and it sounds like your native language. Mm-hmm. But it's not because that's what you are as a human. That's what you're created to be. It's because you've been so formed in character by the insubstantial worldliness of the world around us mm-hmm. that that has become, has taken over your heart language. And then when it speaks to you, you feel like it speaks to your heart. Mm-hmm. Well, it's that's not what your heart was made to feel. Right. 
And so the idea is, is to like realize that decisive change, understand what substantive, substantive faith looks like, mm-hmm. understand what it takes to get there sure. and begin to embody that, sure. that that leads to substance. So, I mean, that, so that makes perfect sense then. I mean, as we're talking about spiritual discipline then today, that the word discipline, um, not in terms of punishment, but in terms of... Um, strengthening. Yes, strengthening. Preparation. Um, that is n- not absorbing something. That is an intentional act on one's part to... Right? Yes, it's to, intentional absorption. Sure. Rather okay. than unintentional absorption. Sure. We're bringing okay. learning and intentional thinking and absorption together. Okay. Intentionally rather than just letting it happen to us unintentionally. Sure. Okay. So as mm-hmm. Christians, we often talk about um, developing spiritual disciplines, plural. And we mean um, like reading your Bible. Um, praying. Like praying. Fasting. Coming to worship on Sundays. Those right. types of disciplines. Going to small group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both so we, stuff we do individually, privately. And together corporately. Sure. Right? These practices. Yeah. But that's not what you're talking about when you say no. spiritual discipline. So, yeah. Explain a little bit what no. what you mean by spiritual discipline and how it's different from disciplines that we normally talk about. Yeah. So, at the in the beginning of January here, just in a couple of weeks from when we're recording this, mm-hmm. we're going to do a, uh, a five-week series on spirituality. And the book we're going to use is by David Mathis. And the title of the book is Habits of Grace. Because the practices that we do are more like practices or habits than they are disciplines. Mm-hmm. Disciplines are like areas of, of study or knowledge or practice or sure. whatever. And so when you read your Bible, that's a, that's a habit. It's a practice, mm-hmm. right? And the problem is, is that you can tell somebody, read your Bible, right? You take somebody who's worldly, who's been absorbing the culture. It's made them shallow and brittle of character. And they come to church and you go, read the Bible. And they go, ooh, I should read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Because their conscious religion says... I believe in Jesus. Oh, I should read the Bible. Their second absorbed religion is worldliness. Mm-hmm. Well, when am I going to do that? I don't really like that. And I kind of want to take a nap. And mm-hmm. gosh, the television is much more interesting. And I can't really fit this into my schedule and blah, blah, blah. Right? Mm-hmm. And the absorbed second religion, which is your real character, mm-hmm. overcomes your conscious faith. Sure. And what happens? You don't read the Bible. Right. So the issue here is... You could talk about these things called we call spiritual disciplines, but they already assume you have a certain amount of discipline mm-hmm. in other ways. So unless you have spiritual discipline, or what I've called in that book these four spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. you're not going to do the habits of grace, and you're not going to participate in the spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel guilty about not quote not going to I feel guilty about not going to church. But you won't actually go to church every week you're in town, right? right. You'll feel yeah. bad you didn't read the Bible, mm-hmm. but you won't actually read the Bible. Mm-hmm. You'll feel like you, quote, don't pray enough, but you won't actually pray. Right. You'll think fasting is probably a good idea, mm-hmm. and you might benefit from it if you do it. And you might feel like that's a very pious thought, but you won't fast. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. Those are the sorts of things. And getting from the nice thought, that's overcome by your absorbed religion of worldliness. Mm-hmm. Getting from there to having the actual discipline that you would do the practices of spiritual growth right. or that you would engage in the habits of grace mm-hmm. is a step that's just we just have completely lost. Yeah. Because talking about worldliness isn't cool. Mm-hmm. And talking about discipleship and discipline feels religious. And so we have this legalistic aversion to it. Mm-hmm. But it's actually all utterly critical and integral 
to having spiritual discipline. Sure. So yeah, so you mentioned um, that you, you talk about four particular like military or martial disciplines mm-hmm. required to form spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Okay. Right. So what are those four that you lay out? Oh, great! You're quizzing me. So the four, now <laughs> these aren't necessarily exhaustive. But these are the ones sure. that I feel like are the most forgotten because we're pansies. Okay, so because 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 um, technology and culture come is designed for comfort. So I, I talk about this in the first chapter of Substance, right? Mm-hmm. That what is secular modernity, technological modernity, all about? Right? Mm-hmm. It's about giving us what we want. And what did we, what do we want? What we want is is something we can actually accomplish through technology, which is comfort. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what does comfort do? Well, it's comfortable, and we enjoy it. But meanwhile, while we're enjoying it and its comfort, it's also making us weak mm-hmm. because we're not dis- we're not disciplining ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And so, for example, if you take the normal middle class American on a missions trip, right, and you say we're actually going to sleep in the jungle, right? They're like, "What? Yeah, are you kidding?" You know. Meanwhile, Paul fro- nearly froze to death all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Was in a bunch of shipwrecks, was whipped. This is just par for the course for him. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. He, that guy was tough as nails mm-hmm. because every day he was in the game. And every day that he almost froze to death, he became the kind of guy that could almost freeze to death and be right. okay. Yeah. Right? What yeah, you talk about this 40%? Not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we've entered into this culture where, like, you don't have any fabric in your wardrobe anymore that isn't comfortable on your skin mm-hmm. immediately when you put it on. Mm-hmm. You don't have any chairs in your house that aren't comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. You don't eat food you don't like, right? right? You cons- Almost everything we consume has sugar in it, mm-hmm. right? Like our, everything in our entire life. Like, for example, do you, I mean, this is a personal question, mm-hmm. ready? Yes. When you take a shower, do you step into the shower and turn on the water? Or do you turn on the water, wait till it gets to the temperature that's comfortable for you, and then get in the shower? I intentionally turn on the shower, right. you put do my the contacts, and then go. Yep. Like everyone. The time. Yep. Like everyone, right? Yep. Nobody gets in the shower, turns on, and goes, oh, it's going to be freezing when I turn it on, but who cares? It'll toughen me up. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing, those are wonderful things, right? They create convenience, but convenience ultimately kills patients. They create comfort. But comfort destroys discipline. Yeah. Like all these things that are wonderful are making us weak. Mm-hmm. And because of that, in this moment, what we really need to remember is these martial disciplines. Mm-hmm. These essentially disciplines of toughness mm-hmm. that are at remarkable lows at this moment in human experience because of the wonder and the glory of technological comfort. Right. Right. So the four yeah. are. So, um, so here are the four. Uh, vigilance, that you have to know your enemy and always be on the lookout for its advance, especially at your most most vulnerable places, Mm -hmm. to brutality, or you could say spiritual ferocity, Mm -hmm. which is the ability and will to lay the full killing blow against the proper adversary without hesitation or reserve, Mm -hmm. right? Training, engaging in constant preparation for the unknown conflict of tomorrow, by diligently developing greater capacity and capability today. So I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'm going to prepare for anything that might happen tomorrow today. Sure. So I have the ability and capacity for it. And the last is cooperation, enhancing our potential in all situations through developed teamwork. Mm-hmm. I need other people in my life, not just because I want nice friends to chat with. Mm-hmm. Life will require cooperation. And the things that I want to achieve spiritually and otherwise, I need a team for that mm-hmm. and building that team. 
Okay. So we've got so vigilance, brutality, training, and cooperation. Right. So we'll talk. Let's talk about each one of those a little bit. Um, we can start with vigilance. Um, right. So, what is it that we need to be aware of in secular modernity relating to this? That I mean, you kind of mm-hmm. talked about it a little bit in terms of when we turn on a shower in the morning and get in. Right. Um, right. But yeah. What do we need and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with comfort. Sure. Yep. But what we need to realize is that everything has a consequence. Everything has a result. Many of those results we don't intend. Mm-hmm. And many of them, when we get one thing, we start to lose something else. And, um, But the spiritual point related to vigilance is that if you read the Bible carefully, if you start in the Old Testament and you read all the way through, what you will find is you do not want your life to turn out the way life turns out for the majority of humans. Right? If you read the Old Testament, it's very hard to get around that. Mm-hmm. And if you say, well, what happened? What happened to everybody? They they missed it. Like they knew what to do. They knew what they wanted. They knew what had to happen. They just weren't in the game. They just let things happen to them. They, some, through th- things slowly came in or they weren't ready when something happened. That is because they weren't ready. And they weren't ready because they weren't watching. And so the Bible tells us all these things that are that that normally destroy human beings. Mm-hmm. There's tons of them, but you can categorize them, you can know them, you can be ready for them if you're on the lookout. Mm-hmm. But if you're not, you are going to get invaded. Mm-hmm. And so, if you read through the, the Old Testament in particular, this is just everywhere. Mm-hmm. And yet, Christians just don't we just don't think about this. Mm-hmm. Right? To say, okay, I'm a human being, just like all the other human beings in the Bible. Mm-hmm. How do all the other human beings in the Bible destroy their lives? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stories about mm-hmm. human beings in the Bible screwing up yeah. and paying enormous consequences for it, right? Mm-hmm. David's out on the roof looking at women, mm-hmm. right? The Israelites, uh, like one of the stories, a lot, there's a bunch of kings that they decide they want to follow the Lord and they get rid of all the pagan worship from the temple. But then it says, but. He didn't actually get rid of the high places, right? So in the temple itself, there's all these pagan idols people are worshiping. And this king comes up and he gets rid of those. But up on the hills, there's these little temples, these little places people can sure. worship play pagan gods. And he should have got rid of those too, and he doesn't. He doesn't go the full course, mm-hmm. right? And meanwhile, things are creeping back in. Sure. And so um, one of the things every Christian needs to recognize is like, we are always in the process of falling. One example of this would be the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. Anger, out of control anger, it's always right at your door. Mm-hmm. Lust, always right at your door, mm-hmm. right? Sloth, just not working hard, not doing what you're supposed to do, just doing what's comfortable, it's always at your door, mm-hmm. right? Gluttony, not watching how much you consume of things, just consuming everything you can get your hands on, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, that's enough, right? That's right? always at your door. Mm-hmm. All these sins are always at your door. And you have to, therefore, you have to be vigilant about all of them. Mm-hmm. And if you don't engage in the practice of vigilance, in your life and in the life of the people you're spiritually responsible mm-hmm. for, friends, family, and if you don't invite their vigilance onto you, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. Right. You cannot get there from here. Yeah. So vigilance in like recognizing who it is, like what it is that we're actually wanting to right. be fighting against or... Right. right. Yeah. What are the what are the what are my most likely what are the mo- things most likely to destroy me? Mm-hmm. I mean, how often do people sit down and think about that? I mean, like if you're listening to this right now, your car, turn it off, and think mm-hmm. if if my life is going to go the wrong direction spiritually, 
what are the three or four things most likely to do that yeah. to me? Like, I can tell you right now, mm-hmm. right now, uh, lack of concentration for me, mm-hmm. right? Letting myself get off on things, mm-hmm. um, not winning the fight of adoring my wife and being there and being the husband she needs me to be mm-hmm. because I'm, right? I mean, I can go through and I can lay them all down. Yeah. I know what they are yeah. because I know I can't. I, I, there's too much attacking me in my life for me to not be clear-headed about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is amazing to me, people in positions of prominence, pastors, mm-hmm. fathers of families, mm-hmm. people who have significant roles in their life, people who ought to know better, mm-hmm. aren't vigilant. Right. And yet, if you take your average business guy, he's super vigilant about his competition. Mm-hmm. The other cleaning company he competes with or the other, like, lock changing guy Mm -hmm. how good is he doing what am i doing is he taking some of my business we're super vigilant about that stuff right but when it comes to our souls we're just not very vigilant and you should be Mm -hmm. yeah we're we're super vulnerable yeah and when you get a sense of the biblical extent of your spiritual vulnerability um you're going to put guards on post everywhere yeah yep and like you said it's it's that's universal for all humanity Mm -hmm. not just not just if you're working in ministry or if you're not working in ministry. I mean, and, and like you were saying, um, people who are doing really well in right. in life, whatever standard you're looking at, right. um, that this they really are all at your doorstep. Um, yeah. Yeah, you've heard me say probably a number of times about Alexi and I that we have this mental rule in our marriage mm-hmm. that our marriage is never more than a month away from an affair. Mm-hmm. Well, what's yeah. that rule all about? It's all about vigilance. Yeah. It's all like... Don't let this get away from you. Mm-hmm. Don't don't assume that this front in the warfare of your life is okay. It's right. not. Mm-hmm. And so you can't wait even a month to say, how's my marriage doing? Mm-hmm. Am I, does my spouse know I care about her and I'm invested in this? Where are we being drawn apart? All of that. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't take that for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know I've met guys that end up, some of them sadly end up divorced. Where They'll tell you they didn't think about that for a decade. And it just blows my mind. But I'm kind of wired like this. And I just think a lot of people need to do some thinking about this. I think if you journal or pray or have mm-hmm. a devotional time, within those practices, one of the things you ought to be asking is questions of vigilance. Mm-hmm. Where am I most vulnerable? Yep. All right. So let's move to the second um, martial discipline that's needed to establish spiritual discipline. So we've got brutality, which mm-hmm. um, as I was reading the chapter... Um, in your book, this is one that you go into like two or three times longer than the other ones. Yeah. Um, why is that? <laughs> okay, so to, I could easily write a book on just this one. Hmm. I, I'm really on about this. Hmm. And the reason for it is not that I want to want everybody to be more brutal. The issue is is that we have we have such a simplistic understanding of violence in all its forms such that you can use the word violence or brutality to refer to everything you don't like mm. that you think is in any way somehow connected to some form of injustice. Mm-hmm. So like if I say, you know, I, I just don't like your scarf, somehow that can be a, a microaggression, Sure. you know? Yeah. And we can use that language as though we're so sensitive to violence. Mm-hmm. And yet um, it is really hard to imagine. So people go to the Bible and they read it and they're like, oh my gosh, like... There's fencing, fighting, giants, and true love. Like, there's, like, so much violence in this book. And they don't even stop anymore to think, 
maybe my view of violence is screwed up. Mm-hmm. They just go, oh, the Bible must be really screwed up. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not really screwed up. It's actually that we have we have we have a very childish understanding of brutality and ferocity. Mm-hmm. And it's creating huge problems in our society because there's a certain kind of ferocity and brutality that is not a malfun- human malfunction. The capacity for brutality and ferocity is actually a divine gift. Mm-hmm. And the Bible speaks of a God who is ferocious. Mm-hmm. Our God is a consuming fire. Right. Yeah, do you have some examples? Yeah. I always see like spiritual brutality. Yeah, I mean the sweet Jesus that everyone wants to be like, well, Jesus is so sweet. Yeah, he's the Lord in Revelation who comes with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth and slays all the nations so that the blood from their veins fills a valley up to the bridle of a horse. Right, I mean, I mean this is, this is, this is the Lord of the Bible. And mm-hmm. he, is, he is ferocious in his love. And our, our simplisticness about, about love and about where gentleness and kindness even come from mm-hmm. is so screwed up that we think if we just talk bad about violence, everybody will be nice. Mm-hmm. And actually not understanding brutality and not engaging in the right kind of brutality and ferocity, spiritually speaking, mm-hmm. actually produces all the brutalities of the actual real world. Mm-hmm. And so by, by not understanding ferocity and brutality, we create a more brutal, a more painful, and a more violent world. Mm-hmm. But if we understood the gospel and we understood the Bible and the ferocity of God and the ferocity we're meant to have, we actually can have a more peaceful, a more kind, and a more loving world. Mm-hmm. And that's the paradox that people just don't want to face. Yeah, I think, and I think what's key to understanding that paradox is spiritual brutality versus physical brutality. Um, and so explain that a little bit. I mean, you talk about that in your book. Um, in right. how, yeah, and how we really need to make sure that we position ourselves to understand brutality correctly, mm-hmm. like ha- have the right lens to to understand what it is that we're being brutal towards. Yeah, so so there's basically three like invitations that Jesus gives to us when you consider Him a Savior, right? So He's like, first, it's kind of like um, repent and believe, I'm the Savior, right? And you're and you've sinned, and you gotta be like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you can move towards Jesus to repent and believe, and then you face a second call where Jesus says. And Luke 9, 23 is a good example. He says, if anybody wants to come after me, he has to deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Meaning that to follow Jesus as his disciple, in order to lose our life so that we can save it, we actually walk with him towards our own execution, right? Mm-hmm. That's a really big step mm-hmm. to go from, oh, I've accepted Jesus, to in order to save my life, I have to lose it in mm-hmm. Christ. And what that looks like spiritually speaking, is walking towards my own execution, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's a really big step. Most Christians never consider that step, mm-hmm. right? Well, most self people who call themselves Christians, mm-hmm. right? But there's, that's not it. Um, you have to follow the path to your own. And then the, the third is Jesus appoints you an executioner. And you have to do the work not just of dying but of killing. Mm-hmm. And that is a very serious claim. And so people are like, wait, what do you mean by that? And, and what Jesus means by that is that um, it is our job by grace, that is God helping us, mm-hmm. to put to death, to kill, to murder sin, mm-hmm. or what the Bible calls the flesh, that is the out of whackness inside of us, mm-hmm. that which is disobedient, which is enslaved to sin. And that 
damnable thing in us has to be killed. It deserves no quarter. It deserves no mercy. And our attitude towards it can't have any hesitation. Mm. And so what would, look, what would be brutality in battle, no hesitation, no mercy, no quarter, you kill your enemy. Mm-hmm. Christians are supposed to exert against what the Bible calls the flesh or indwelling mm. sin. And the reason why that is not a conflicted thing. So if, I, if, you, if you were put in a situation where you had to kill another person to protect a person, mm-hmm. that's a conflicted because... You have to save the other person, but the other person is not irredeemable. Mm-hmm. But if you kill them, they can't be, they can't go through the re- whatever redemption there might be. Mm-hmm. And so it's, a, it's always a conflicted tragedy. It's not with sin. Sin isn't a person. It's an infection. Right. And so there is nothing redeemable about sin. Mm-hmm. What's redeemable is the person. Mm-hmm. In order for the person to be re- redeemed, they have to be saved. Mm-hmm. They, and they have to be redeemed, and that sin has to die. Mm-hmm. And so the ferocity by which we kill sin is not directed at something that's redeemable. And therefore, it doesn't have to be conflicted. And there's nothing negative morally about it. Mm-hmm. Because the enemy is not an image bearer, it's not a redeemable thing. Yeah. The one quote that you have um, in your book is um, pertaining to this. I fear that the average American Christian does not hate or want to kill indwelling sin half as much as he feels that way about a foreign Muslim Islamist, though he would not politely admit it. And yet our global Muslim neighbors, even when they are our enemies, are precisely the image-bearing humans about whom Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get paid back from Luke 6. The right object of hatred dwells within. Your greatest enemy is in bed with you. So that's, I mean, exactly what you're talking about, that oftentimes, again, here you specifically call it American Christians. We we put that hatred, although we wouldn't, you right, we wouldn't normally say that. That wouldn't be politically correct to say that or right. or Christianly correct to say that. Um, we place it on a person or a people group or, um, yeah. A, 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 a political party. Sure, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than the sin that dwells within. Yeah, and you see horrific ferocity publicly and people mm-hmm. humiliating each other and trying to destroy their careers and lives and livelihoods and yeah. all that. And, and people don't seem to recognize that as brutality. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are people who, you know, want to kill those ISIS people mm-hmm. over there in Iraq, right? But when it comes to their sin, what they want to do is they want to pretend. They want to be like the executioner that pretends he kills the inmate mm-hmm. and doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, is that um, we love our sin. Yeah. And we want to keep it. And we want both God and mammon or money. Like, we, mm-hmm. we want both. And Jesus says, Jesus has not just appointed us to go with him to his execution. He's appointed us to be an executioner of our sin. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do is we want to like beat him up so he looks unconscious, but so that we can revive it later. And so that's the real reason we don't want to engage in spiritual brutality. And that, Aaron, is worldliness. Mm-hmm. Because wanting to keep the sin because of its comfort to us and its ability to give us something that we can feel. Yeah. Is, is the love of the world. Mm. And um, Jesus said, famously, if, you're, if your eye looks at something that causes you to sin, gouge it out. Yeah. Right? And if your hand does something that causes you to sin, cut your hand off. Mm-hmm. Now, people, are let, people usually say, and they say this rightly about that passage, that's hyperbole, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> it's kind of a metaphorical hyperbole. Jesus does not really expect people to like, gouge their eyes out and cut off sure. their hands. Great. 
That's true. The problem is, is that the hyperbole is supposed to refer to something that's completely real. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what are you so brutal about in your own character and in your own discipleship that the pursuit of Christ in the thing and the brutality that you exert against sin is practically what would be metaphorically gouging out your eye yeah. or cutting off your hand, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, sometimes when people talk about hell, the Christian mm-hmm. doctrine of hell, they'll say, okay, the Bible talks about fire in hell, but surely that's a metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. And, my, I, you know, I used to argue with people about that because it very well may not be. But one thing that's, wait a second. Okay, let me just stipulate for a second that it is a metaphor. Let's say that the fire of hell is a metaphor. What do you think that gets you? Right? Still a representation. Right. Why do we use metaphors? We use metaphors when we don't have literal language mm-hmm. that's big enough. Yeah. So we just use the biggest literal language we possibly can and try to help you understand that what we're talking about is even beyond this. Mm-hmm. You know, so I can tell my wife, my love for you is like a mountain, right? I mean, I want to believe it goes through the atmosphere, but like a mountain's the biggest <laughs> thing on earth, right? Mm-hmm. If, if hell isn't fire, it's worse. Mm-hmm. It's worse than fire. Sure. Right? It's, it's an argument that proves too much. Mm-hmm. Like People often say, well, it's a metaphor. And what they mean, because they don't think literarily, they go, well, that just means it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. No, the, the <laughs> metaphor carries a greater, larger meaning. Mm-hmm. So if you say, well, that's a metaphor to cut off my hand or gouge out my eye, great. How, in what way are you, is your discipleship towards Christ organized? In what way do you act? In what way are you so internally ferocious that as you, through the Spirit, kill sin, Somebody could look at your life and think it's as crazy as gouging out an eye or cutting off a hand. Mm-hmm. I would wager that virtually no Christian has an answer to that. And yet, Jesus acts like that's just Tuesday being a Christian. It's completely normal. Mm-hmm. That's something we have to reckon with because we are trying to be Christians in a way Jesus said was impossible. That should bother us. Mm-hmm. And Jesus believed, and the entire New Testament clearly states, that spiritual brutality is fundamentally part of being a Christian. Mm -hmm. And the reason we don't believe that is because we just read over the put-to-death stuff. So in Colossians 3, 5, where it says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Mm -hmm. we just just read over that and be like, oh, yeah, yes, it just means stop it. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't think of kneeling on a chest with a rock in our hand, crushing somebody's skull. Like... We live in a world where death is very sanitized, okay? When people were put to death or killed or fought in the ancient world, it was very up close and personal. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't kill anybody without getting blood on you. Mm-hmm. It was a horrifically brutal thing. And that is exactly the image the New Testament authors are getting at. In fact, in Galatians 5, where Paul says, those who belong to Christ, so that's the most generic reference to a Christian possible. Mm-hmm. That means literally anybody who could possibly be a Christian. Mm-hmm. He says, and for those who belong to Christ, have, that's past tense, meaning everybody has done it if they belong to Christ, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So what he's saying is, if you're a Christian at all, and if you believe that you're at all spiritual, you have crucified the flesh. Mm-hmm. And if you allow yourself for one minute to not be religious about that word crucified, and you actually imagine yourself crucifying someone, that's pretty horrific. Mm-hmm. And what Paul says is there isn't anybody who you can really call a Christian, who you could imagine is living in the spirit, is in any way meaningfully biblically spiritual, who hasn't done that. Mm-hmm. Past tense. Yeah. So, That's, I mean, that, 
that ought to like that ought to shiver us. We ought to shiver in our bones mm-hmm. when we read about that kind of seriousness mm-hmm. and realize that we're not nearly as ferocious as we're meant to be as human mm-hmm. beings. Um, so personally, as I'm listening to this, and I'm assuming it for people who are listening to it as well um, on the podcast, hearing that, we might just, it's easy to start to think, okay, um, I feel like I'm being told I need to be this incredibly aggressive, just brute force, um, n- not apparently loving, terrible mm-hmm. person. I mean, really, it feels negative. Or, and, be, and maybe that is just because it's so different from what mm-hmm. we're used to. We're to all supposed to act like Marines. Yeah, that, yes. That like is. the new the, the General James Mathis, who just got appointed a tr- uh, head of the Pentagon, where oh, his, yeah. his like most famous quote is, be polite, be professional, but have a plan to kill everyone you meet. Yeah, like how, yeah, reconciling those mm-hmm. two things in this context. I'm, it's like, okay, how do we do that? I mean, what, right. is, what is the end goal? Right, this? yeah, and so the answer to that is this. The, the wall is how you get the garden. That the, mm-hmm. the, the, the nurturing things that we all know are incredibly important, like meekness, kindness, love, gentleness, being long-suffering, all of that, mm-hmm. that comes through brutality and ferocity against mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. Because why aren't people patient? Well, like right? you said earlier, because we train ourselves to... To need and want things now, and get, right. and obtain them now. Right, and it's also that like we're self-centered, mm-hmm. right? We don't want to put up with what other, with the other person's taking forever mm-hmm. to do something or say something or whatever, mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, right. Well, how do you think you get patience? Well, when you brutally kill, right, the sin the sin of impa- of impatience mm-hmm. of self-centeredness that creates that impatience, mm-hmm. patience becomes possible, mm-hmm. right? When you kill the sin that is constantly causing you to rage inside and with your temper. Mm-hmm. Only then can you have peace mm-hmm. outside, right? Only when you aren't brutalizing other people by yelling at them and being um, manipulative and so on because of how selfish and sinful you are can you offer kindness and real purity to other people. Mm-hmm. The brutality by which we crucify and crush the skull of sin within us with all the brutality and the ferocity of Christ in the spirit. That is what produces all of the gentleness and nurturing things of love that flow out of us. Mm. And if you don't kill the flesh or indwelling sin through the spirit, if you are not maximally brutal and ferocious, such that it would be like gouging out an eye or cutting off a hand, Mm -hmm. you won't ever be a nurturing person. Not really. You'll be small-minded and manipulative and rude and self-centered and self-seeking and putting yourself first. And the kind of sacrificial love, the kind of real patience with other people, letting them be themselves, they'll never be what they were meant to be without that brutality. I'm a huge picture person, and you talk about this in your book. You refer to a, a time about killing a rabbit in your garden. Right. I mean, that's, that's what you're referring to when you're talking about wall and garden. Like building or the wall versus the garden. Right? Or, That's a good example. Or, of it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you share that? Sure. Yeah. So, like about house. two, two okay. and a half years ago, I got up on Sunday morning and I, I said, uh, you know, this Sunday, I, I woke up and I went into our sunroom and it was like, you know, five o'clock. And everybody's thinking, like, oh, Nick is so spiritual. <laughs> he got up early in the morning. He could tell us he was praying for us, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, I went out to the sunroom to pray and I was looking over our backyard where my garden is mm-hmm. and I saw this rabbit hopping around in my garden. Mm-hmm. You know, like getting ready to eat the stuff that was sprouting, right? And I said, so I went and got my dog, 
and we went out and what I do is I send my dog in the garden and the, the rabbit will do something crazy and like run into the fence and get caught yeah. and then I'll go in there and get him, right? So I get this rabbit. So I said basically I go in there and Sam and I catch this rabbit and I killed it with my bare hands, right? Because you can have cute little rabbits or you can have produce mm. in July and August, right. but you can't have both, right? At the men's breakfast a couple of days ago, I said, listen, there's this verse in Song of Songs where you've, there's this young married couple, right? And the song, the song is a very erotic song, right? Mm-hmm. And so they've basically left the city to go out to these, this vineyard they own basically so they can make love. Mm-hmm. And so like they're laying on the blanket afterwards and she's like, you know, there's the little the little kids, the foxes are having babies and they're, there's all these little foxes kind of running around. And before they're predators and they eat the rabbits and the voles, they have to cut their teeth. Mm-hmm. And the only thing substantial enough for them to cut their teeth on, but that's soft enough so that they like it, is the buds on the vines. Mm-hmm. And so these little foxes will run around and chew the buds off the vines and destroy the vineyard. The grapevines. Oh, right, yeah, the grapevines, right. Mm-hmm. And yet, what is cuter than a baby fox? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost. All, the only thing I think of is a baby skunk, right? <laughs> sure. And so she's like, and so the verse is, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes mm-hmm. that ruin the vineyards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because one of the things I told the man, I said, listen, when you get ready to be ferocious and you take up the battle axe and you step in there and you're going to cut the head off that dragon, here's what you need to be ready for. You're not going to see some mean dragon with huge long mm-hmm. teeth with flesh dripping from its mouth. You're going to see a little baby fox. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be very confusing and disorienting. Yeah. Because, but listen, you can have the fox or you can have the wine, but you can't have both. And yeah, and so this is the re- this is the reality of ferocity: is you have to be willing to do the killing, and you have to be willing to kill the little rabbit. Mm-hmm. And I, a number of people after that sermon actually came up to me and said, "You know that story really bothered me, mm-hmm. and I found it really disturbing that my pa- to my for my pastor to tell me." that he killed a rabbit with his bare hands before it surfaces. Mm-hmm. And my response was just simply, it shouldn't. It should comfort you. Yeah. All right, so we've talked about these first two um, martial disciplines a little bit and in, in forming spiritual discipline. Um, why don't you, for um, today's segment, close us off for now, and then we'll do another podcast to finish out the rest of them in okay. a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, I, th- I think whenever, whoever's listening to this, wherever you are, mm-hmm. the, the question has to be, am I in the game on these two things? Vigilance and brutality or mm-hmm. ferocity. Am I, do I recognize that Jesus hasn't just called me to repent and believe generally? He hasn't just called me to walk with him to my own execution towards the things of this world. But in order to walk with him towards the execution, what that really means is he's appointed me executioner by the spirit of the flesh or indwelling sin. Mm-hmm. Have I really accepted that calling? Hmm. And am I willing to accept the kind of ferocity necessary to do something that looks like gouging out my eye or cutting off my hand, like hmm. Jesus said? Am I willing to do, like in Acts, when people came to Christ, they burned like $4 million worth of occult scrolls because hmm. they just want to be free of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't sell it to somebody else because it was, it was poison. Mm-hmm. So they just burned $4 million worth of assets, hmm. right? Because they, they wanted to be free. And you, you, you can have the world, or you can be free. But you can't have both. You can have little foxes, or you can have wine, but you can't have both. Mm-hmm. You can save your life in this world, or you can save it for the next, but you can't have both. Mm-hmm. 
And so there has to be a, a, a hardened realization of that. And if that's not there, then what's going to happen is you're going to believe religiously in your head. You'll be like, I believe in Jesus. But what you're going to live by is the absorbed religion of worldliness. Mm-hmm. And when it comes right down to it, you're going to do what you've absorbed. Mm-hmm. And the only way around that is if you put the part of you that loves the world like an idol to death. Mm-hmm. It's the only way. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says he's going to help you. I mean, it's by grace. God, it says in Second Peter, his divine power has given us everything we need for a life of godliness. Mm-hmm. So if you want that substance, right, it says in 1 Peter 1, make every effort to add to this, to your faith goodness and to goodness, all these things. Mm-hmm. But it says that his divine power is given us. You have to believe that Jesus yeah. is everything, that that is the life you're to receive, that, that we're not supposed to love the world. We're supposed to love Jesus and, and Christ's kingdom and his future. And you have to become more enraptured with that. And you have to... You have to be willing to do whatever it takes spiritually to put to death the flesh. Mm-hmm. And the flesh is like a zombie. Like, it'll keep coming back to life. You can beat it to death, and it's going to wake up tomorrow, mm-hmm. and you're going to beat it to death again. Mm-hmm. But the unhesitated battlefield capacity to have no hesitation, to give no quarter, and to strike with the, the highest level of violence to kill, not to maim, mm-hmm. Not to defend, not to ward off, but to end the thing that you strike against is the only thing that can take the spiritual resolve of faith and raise it to the level of discipleship that can actually take us to the place that we were meant to be. Mm-hmm. So that we can, be, we can experience spiritual freedom. We can actually experience the transformation of mind we're meant to. Mm-hmm. So we can really walk with the spirit because we're not walking in the flesh. Mm-hmm. And so real self-sacrificial love and all of the nurturing attributes that we want to come out of us can right. because of the spiritual ferocity that through the spirit is putting sin to death. Mm-hmm. And you've got to ask yourself, where am I on that? Yeah. And then you got to ask yourself, if, when, I, when I do the killing, then I need to stand guard and be vigilant over this. Where are the open places in my life? What is most likely to destroy me? What have I been neglecting that I know is a problem, Mm -hmm. that I know Jesus wants me to do something, but I just won't do it? What are are some faults that I have that can become tragic faults? Mm -hmm. Those sorts of things. Because without vigilance and brutality, you can't get there from here. Mm -hmm. We can't become substantive. It's just not possible. Jesus never intended it to be that way. But he's given us everything we need to get there from here. That's really good. Lots of good questions to think about for our listeners. Um, and um, so if you enjoyed this podcast, want to hear the second half of it, you can tune in, um, continue to tune into Engage and Equip podcast, and um, we'll catch you soon.